Welcome to the Healthy Doctor Podcast, where we host conversations about physician well-being. I'm Dr. Steve Sartori, Director of the Center for Well-Being at the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The relationship between theology and medicine is deeply rooted historically and often misconstrued or misunderstood in contemporary circles. Our theology and belief systems influence our behaviors and our practices, which greatly impact our personal and professional well-being. My guest on this episode, Dr. Warren Kinghorn, is especially qualified to address this topic as he is a scholar in both medicine and theology. Dr. Kinghorn is Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Duke University Medical Center, Esther Cauliflower Associate Professor of the Practice of Pastoral and Moral Theology at Duke Divinity School, and Co-Director of the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative at Duke Divinity School. He is also a staff psychiatrist at the Durham VA Medical Center. He received an MD from Harvard Medical School and a Doctor of Theology from Duke Divinity School, and his work has always been at the intersection of Christian faith and healthcare, especially related to Christian engagement with mental health and mental illness. I am very eager to engage in conversation with Dr. Kinghorn. Please listen in. Warren, thanks for uh, joining me on this episode of the Healthy Doctor podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. I'm wondering, uh, you know, I've read a lot about you, and you're uh, you're not a common guy. You you've studied medicine, you've studied theology, and I I just wondering if, as we get started, you might share a bit about what led you to choose a career in healthcare and even psychiatry. Well, again, thank you for having me on the program. Uh, I'm really, really grateful to be here. Uh, with respect to healthcare, I think that I fell into it more than anything else, but and it had to do in part with the fact that I was raised in a Southern Baptist evangelical church and home. Uh, and in that context, I was taught to trust science, I think, as a way to understand God's world. And there was always a lot of of uh, support given to uh, medicine as a profession and to physicians. Um, I was also taught that serving and helping others was a good thing and that Jesus was a healer. And so medicine was a way, as I think it is for many, to put those things together. And I also realized from some early experiences that I just loved the culture and the feel and the busyness of hospitals. And so one thing led to another, and I ended up in medical school. Um, And as for why psychiatry, I think that's partly tied up in my work in theology, uh, because uh, that's in part why I chose to become a, a psychiatrist. But I've always been fascinated in what it means to be human and how the mind works and why humans do what we do. And those are psychological questions, to be sure, but they're also theological questions. So how the mind works, a kind of an attraction to this human part of healthcare, and then a, a heritage that really kind of set you up uh, for you to kind of fall into healthcare, so to speak, you said. So, yeah, yeah interesting. And and these, these things seem to converge. And, and after you kind of followed that route, you continued to explore the theological intersection with medicine and psychiatry. So you decided to pursue that more formally. How did that come about? I did. Yeah. You know, I mentioned I grew up in a in a um, evangelical church. And so 
even from high school and college, I wanted to connect my Christian faith to being a doctor. And initially, I was in college in the 1990s, and I thought the way to do that was to care about questions of medical ethics. And so I was interested in questions about uh, abortion and euthanasia and that sort of thing. And then I went to medical school at Harvard, and I quickly realized that that thinking as a Christian about medicine was much broader than bioethics. And I, I began to realize that modern medicine, as we see it now, is at most a couple hundred years old as a way of thinking and speaking. And I was getting a pretty good education, indoctrination, really, in those ways of, of thinking. But I also realized that what I was seeing didn't always fit into medicine's categories. Medicine seemed to be too flat. Like I wanted to be able to think theologically about everything I was doing in healthcare, not just about these like limit questions of ethics. Um, so one example of that, I was a first-year uh, medical student, and I spent a couple of days shadowing at an alcohol detox facility in a neighborhood in Boston. And I just spent a couple of days talking to the men who were there. And they were, for the most part, middle-aged, older men who had been drinking for a long time. They wanted to quit. They uh, knew that they'd be better off uh, without alcohol. They were hopeful that this, this time might work, but they also blamed themselves for having gone back to alcohol again and again and again. And uh, and I understood, even as a first-year medical student, that I could read the medical literature around alcohol use disorder, and I could understand things about neural circuits and treatments. But their experience called for these broader concepts like agency and will and sin and grace and redemption and forgiveness. And I realized that my medical school training didn't have much space for these broader ways of thinking that were central to who I was as a Christian. I was also actually got involved with a CMDA chapter in Boston at Harvard. It was really it's an amazing group of people who were uh, Christians from all over the world, all over the global church. And, and we began to ask together, what does it mean to be Christian in this space? We were in this set of academic medical centers that's larger than most downtowns of most U.S. cities. And we began to see, think about how can medicine be understood as a power in the New Testament sense, as a, a good structure, one that's capable of great good, but that also is fallen. And how do we think about medicine as a good but fallen power? And how then does it mean to engage as Christians in this world of academic health care? And that made me want to think even more and more about how do I think as a Christian about these questions? So there were a few different things I considered, but one thing led to another, and I ended up uh, deciding to take some time away from medical school to do a Master of Theological Studies at Duke Divinity School, where I have since studied and, and am now teaching. And that really helped me to better understand just the, the landscape of Christian thought and practice. The image that I've always used is that when I first came to Boston, it was my first time there interviewing for medical school. I remember landing at the airport, getting in a cab at night, going and this very confusing uh, route that uh, led me under a tunnel and on a freeway interchange and by a body of water, and then I was at the place that I was staying. I couldn't have told you at the time where I had been in Boston. I just knew that I was somewhere in Boston. But after living in that city for several years and biking around and, and learning to love it, I can now look back on that trip and I could tell you exactly where I was each place on that first night. I could tell you that I was you know, uh, driving on Star Drive by the Charles River, looking across the river at MIT, and I can, put, I can map myself. And, and so theological study helped me to better understand not only where I fit into this larger world of the church and of Christian history and Christian theology, 
But it also helped me to understand how to make sense of health and health care from the perspective of Christian theology. And that's something that really has changed my life and changed my career and has affected the way that I think and practice ever since. Well, Warren, as I listen to you, I think uh, that you were a little bit unusual as a medical student. Uh, I only have a, my own experience, but the experience of my friends, we were out playing basketball and studying and not thinking so deeply about theology and thinking so deeply about meaning and what is it about uh, my faith and how does it affect medicine. And then you were surrounded by people who also fed that and, uh, and you were nurtured and you were in a community that was encouraging those kinds of things. And so I'm wondering, were you unusual or were you really normative? What happens to us as students as far as our morality, our virtue, our values, and what's going on with us as we go through training in that way? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I think that the community for me was absolutely important. The the community of students and of mentors around me, I still am in touch from uh, teachers and mentors in that time, including um, the the uh, person who led the CMDA chapter at that time. And, and that has been a huge gift. To the question about formation, I mean, my I'm now a clinician educator at Duke. I teach a lot of psychiatry residents and medical students as well as divinity students. And and I think of all of medical practice as a moral enterprise. Like uh, we, I mean, certainly um, scientific knowledge is important. Understanding technology is important. But fundamentally, uh, modern medicine is about walking with somebody who's in some form of distress and trying to figure out what is the right thing to do in this situation, given my understanding of this person on a journey and given our shared understanding of what a good life looks like for them and then helping them to move toward that. And that's fundamentally a moral practice. Ethics isn't just the limit questions like scarce resource allocation and abortion and physician-assisted suicide and those kinds of things, but ethics is central to everything we do. I mean, because it applies to everything we do in the world of clinical practice. And so medical education is all about moral formation. What does it mean to, to shape clinicians and to shape ourselves to be those who love what's lovely and who do uh, those things that are right and who are the kind of people who can step into complex situations and know the right thing to do? And so for me, all of medical education is a, a kind of extended process of moral formation, and it has to be done in community. And I was really fortunate early in my training to have those who walked alongside me and encouraged me to do that, and I certainly wouldn't be where I am now apart from that community. That's a very interesting kind of concept that I'm not sure everyone would grasp very readily. And so I think of that, and I think of, hmm, how is it then, if, if all of medicine is moral enterprise, what happens when things don't go right morally? Because we read a lot about moral distress, moral injury, and all of that topic. Perhaps uh, you have some perspectives on some of that. Absolutely. Yeah. As I say, I do think, and I would defend, that all of medicine, all of healthcare, is a moral enterprise. And I think one of the things that I love about working as a clinician with uh, many uh, colleagues who are Christian and many who aren't is that I think that healthcare largely is clinicians who are incredibly well-trained and work really hard to do right by our patients, to do right by each other. And that's what, some of the exciting things about healthcare for me is not just working as an individual with patients, but it's working alongside colleagues and just trying to figure out how can we do right by this person. And that's something that's so gratifying. And yet it doesn't always work like that. 
And there's these terms, uh, moral distress and moral injury, that have been increasingly talked about just in the last several years in medicine. Um, these are different terms. Moral distress comes largely out of the nursing literature, and so is more directly related to healthcare. Moral injury comes out of the literature of combat and combat trauma, and has only more recently been brought into healthcare. But I mean, here's the way that I think about these these ideas: is that if our clinical work is fundamentally moral at its core. If we're constantly working to do right by patients in ways that lead to health and peace, what the what the Bible would call shalom, then what are we to do when we find ourselves as clinicians constrained by systems, maybe even constrained by ourselves or by others, in a way that we're unable to do the right thing, that being ourselves who are able to do the right thing seems somehow blunted or, or stunted. And so... I mentioned the term moral distress came out of the nursing literature. This is uh, nurses who are writing about what's the experience of being ordered by physicians to provide certain kinds of intervention or care that they believe fundamentally is harmful to the patient, maybe in an ICU setting where they feel like they're doing harm to somebody by continuing to put in lines and, and draw blood and that kind of thing. And what do they do with that experience of feeling like they're harming when they're there to help? And the term moral injury has been picked up by physicians recently, about, but what does it mean to be practicing in a system where maybe because of constraints by the system itself, maybe because of patterns of insurance reimbursement, maybe because of just the way that you know relationships among colleagues work, like you don't feel like you can provide care that respects the dignity and fullness of who patients are. And that becomes really demoralizing after a, a while. And uh, so one way to describe that um, that experience is uh, the now very familiar language of burnout, which would be classically uh, clinicians getting exhausted and feeling like they're not able to really treat their patients as full persons in the sense that their, their work isn't mattering very much. And more recently, that's been brought into this frame of moral injury. Maybe what's happening is that we, we want to do the right thing. We came into medicine in order to be certain kinds of people who could do the right thing, and we find ourselves in systems that in some ways are blocking that. And that can be a really significant challenge and problem for clinicians broadly and for physicians specifically. Wow. It seems like an ever-increasing kind of uh, difficulty we encounter given the the nature and change of healthcare to business models and to other structures that seem to put increasing constraints upon us being that moral provider. And the impact on people that we see, as you stated, whether it leads to burnout or or maybe even even worse. So you probably get put in the place of maybe helping a colleague deal with this or having a conversation around a distressing event or a distressing patient encounter. And how can a doctor respond to this? First of all, I just want to acknowledge that doctors are not always simply victims of these kinds of situations. Doctors often have a lot of power to choose our practice settings and even to shape our practice settings. And so sometimes the way that, so I'm a psychiatrist, sometimes the way that psychiatrists get into these positions is by consenting to practice settings where the very structure of our care isn't one where we can really fully attend to what people need. And so there might be systems that pay a very high salary in exchange for seeing a very high number of patients in a day for very few numbers of minutes per encounter. There's economic incentive to do that, but you do that over and over again, and you end up 
mostly doing medication management and not having time to really be able to give to patients, and that can lead to burnout. But physicians have a role to play in in this, and so we're not just um, the recipients of it. But I think more broadly, when we think about moral distress or moral injury, I think one thing, and and I'll I want to speak most broadly and also specifically as a Christian, is is that simply naming the wrongness of a situation, naming that I'm in a situation where I'm not able to treat my patients or my colleagues or myself with the dignity that is required of me and of them as uh, children of God, as image bearers of, of God. And so uh, naming it, this is not right, this, this, this could be better, this should be better. And I think the biblical tradition of lament, of carrying these things to God, of saying, um, God, I, I am in a situation that I feel trapped, I don't know how to get out of, I'm not sure what to do, and I want to carry this to you without immediately you know, pretending like it's okay. I think that's something that the Psalms give us space to do, for example, and is really important. I think, uh, second, building community. I, I talked about the importance of community for me as a student, and it, community is still incredibly important for me, both as a clinician and as a teacher, as a professor. Uh, I'm fortunate to be surrounded here at Duke by a number of colleagues who I think know me and know my work and whom I trust and who hold me accountable in particular ways, and we can limit these things together. And then I think the question for clinicians is, once you recognize a situation as one of moral distress or moral injury, what does it mean to take positive action forward? Sometimes that might mean some form of repentance, of asking forgiveness of patients or of colleagues or of others if we feel like we haven't been able to do the right thing. Sometimes it means going in a new direction, like you know, not working in a certain setting where we've been working and, and seeking a, a change. Sometimes that means working to reform the setting where we are. But what it can't be is simply just accepting that this is the way things have to be. I think we're called to something deeper and broader and more joyful as clinicians and simply like tolerating systems that are dehumanizing our patients and us. And fortunately, many systems don't work that way, but certainly some do. And I think we have a responsibility as Christians to try to recognize that and to lament it and then to seek to change that. I think the key point is that as a clinician, you are not a cog in a machine. You're a moral agent. You're someone whom God loves, who is called to the work of healing. And so if we find ourselves simply feeling like we're cogs in machines and something's wrong, there's something better for us and for our patients than that. So yeah, the challenge not to accept uh, where we are, but to say, do I need a different context? Do I need to surround myself with a community of people who can help me respond and uphold my moral integrity as a moral agent, as someone operating in a moral enterprise called medicine. And uh, these are challenging situations for us as Christians in medicine, because sometimes the consequences are great. Sometimes we are convinced that we must take a, a stand against a systematic issue or an individual issue or whatever. And uh, we Absolutely. must be prepared to uh, experience the consequence of that. Absolutely. And I think that's what the church is for. I mean, it's. It, I mean, certainly my, my experience of community in medical school was in a context of Christian community, but I think the church, the institutional church, has a role to be able to call clinicians into accountability and to fellowship and to encourage clinicians, but also to be able to to hold space for people to say, you know, is the work that I'm doing consistent with my life as a disciple of Jesus? And the church has a really vital role to play in the lives of clinicians, not just simply doing, I mean, although this is very important, not just 
helping us to, you know, read scripture and to be in a space of worship, but also specifically as clinicians to ask, how is what I'm doing contributing to God's reign on earth? And if it has nothing to do with that, then like, what am I being called to differently? What might my opportunities be? Seems like we have great opportunity to leverage this community of Christian believers for these kinds of conversations rather than just kind of going on our merry way and not paying attention. As you said, the first thing is really to pay attention to these things, yeah. to notice them, yeah. to name them, yeah. to recognize them and and to acknowledge it and to yeah. start with taking it to God and then taking it to other fellow believers and especially those who really have a deep natural understanding of the context within which we operate. And move. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Warren, we have so much more to talk about, but I want to kind of begin to bring this home. So I know these kinds of conversations around medicine, theology, and culture are part and parcel of what you do and what you're involved with in this initiative at Duke called Theology, Medicine, and Culture. So what does this initiative address and what could you share with us about that initiative? So I'm a co-director of the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative at Duke Divinity School. We're a seminary-based initiative that exists to connect the world of healthcare to the world of Christian faith and practice, to bring the good news of Jesus into the world of healthcare. And we are so fortunate to be surrounded by students and faculty who really care about these questions. We have several programs that I'd love for people to know about. We offer online seminars that now are online and and carry CME credit uh, that you can find on our website, which is at tmc.divinity.duke.edu. We also have a residential program for people who want to move to Durham and study at Duke for a year or two in the Divinity School here in community with others that are called to healthcare, to study for a degree, to be engaged in spiritual formation, to be uh, engaged in a lot of uh, intentional community conversations. We call that our fellowship in theology, medicine, and culture. And then this next year, starting fall of 2021, we're actually launching a new distance certificate in theology and healthcare for practicing clinicians. So it'll be a six-course certificate. It involves two courses that specifically look at the history of uh, healthcare in the light of Christian faith and practice, two courses that are kind of basics of theology, history, biblical study, ethics, and then two that are focused on spiritual formation for clinicians. We think of ourselves as offering theological formation for the church's health practitioners. And so if any if any of your listeners are interested in being in a conversation with us about that, we would welcome that and those in those conversations. That sounds very exciting. You've got me interested and I trust many of our other members would be interested as in in it as well. Thanks for doing that and uh, engaging in those kinds of conversations and that kind of educational initiative and opportunities for us. And uh, Warren, is there anything else you'd really like to share with our listeners before we close? I think I I would want to say what I say to any group that I speak with and also try to bring into my clinical practice, which is that there's a few things that we just have to always remember as Christian health practitioners. And the first one, the most important thing of all, is that the deepest truth about who we are is that we are loved and known by God. And that's more true of us than any board certification or any practice setting or any anything that we are or are not doing in the world of healthcare. And the second thing I think is that I used the image of the the traveler or the wayfarer earlier that the most helpful way to think about engaging healthcare as a Christian is to think of ourselves as pilgrims or wayfarers, and to think of our patients as wayfarers, those on a journey from God to guide. And so the question is always like, what's needed right now for the journey? 
on which I find myself and what's needed for my patients on their journey with me having the privilege to walk alongside them. When we start with those two premises, that we are deeply known and loved by God and that we're those on a journey with the privilege to walk alongside each other, then so many possibilities open up. I think uh, the possibility of real joy. And maybe last, I would just offer the inexhaustibility of the Bible, of Scripture, of Christian faith, that any clinician is feeling like their practice is kind of wearing them down. There's just this incredible well within the world of Scripture and within the world of the church, and we can just rest on that. And that's something that I think God has, has given us as a gift. I think that we as Christians have such an advantage in so many ways to understand and appreciate that we're known by God, that we're loved by yeah. God, that we're surrounded by a community of others who have that same experience, and that leads to joy. And so I, I, it, it never ceases to amaze me that we actually generally are healthier in so many ways because of that understanding of who we are and who made us that way. And to me, as a director of well-being, I, I just love to see practitioners and clinicians and healthcare workers and healthcare leaders understand those underpinnings because I really do believe there's a deep, deep well of joy there yeah. to be found. Thank you for your work and uh, for challenging us to continue to think deeply and to not just uh, go on our merry way, but to really dig deeply into some of these issues that you were thinking about, even as a very young Harvard medical student and maybe even <laughs> before. So thanks for sharing that, Warren, and, and God bless you. Thank you, Steve. You too, and blessings on your work. Thank you so much. So much to think about there with Dr. King Horn. I wish we had more time, and hopefully in the future we will. But thoughts about the fact that medicine is a moral enterprise, and we as physicians are moral agents, and that oftentimes when that morality is breached and causes a conflict within or a constraint from a system, we must deal with the consequences of moral distress or moral injury or even moral trauma. And yet we can name that, we can face it, we can address it in the context of community, knowing that we are known by God and that we are loved by God. If you have some interest in learning more about the Duke Center for Theology, Medicine, and Culture, go to their website at tmc.divinity.duke.edu and you can find much more about their programs, their resources, their classes and courses, you might be very interested in what they have to offer. At the CMDA Center for Wellbeing, we help doctors and other healthcare professionals align with God, optimize well-being, and maximize influence. We offer professional coaching services that help you advance your well-being, navigate transitions, or grow your leadership skills. For more information, visit cmda.org coaching or email coaching at cmda.org. Our coach training courses afford you the opportunity to learn the mindset and skills of coaching that equip you to help others without giving them advice. These popular courses are duly accredited, providing both Category 1 CME credits and coach training hours approved by the International Coaching Federation. To stay abreast of current course offerings, visit cmda.org events. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Healthy Doctor. Thanks to those who helped produce it, Rusty, Scott, Eric, our media team. Tune in again next month, and until then, care for yourself as you care for others. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.